and welcome to another broadcast of Sunshine USA. I'm Warren Landis. I'm your host and Bible teacher here on Sunshine USA. And as usual, it is a great joy <clears throat> for me to welcome you uh, to the program. Um, I, I'm, I'm so thankful that many of you have told me about how this program has helped you to make the study of God's Word number one in your life. And uh, I am just tickled to death when I get reports like that. Because it, it's really great to know that people like me believe that it's important to uh, study God's Word every day. Um, I know this one guy, uh, I am told he gets up at 5.30 in the morning for the purpose of giving uh, time to exercise. He wants to exercise and go to the gym, and, and that's a good thing, you know? That's important. And I'm told, by the way, that more people than ever before this year have made uh, losing weight, for example, getting more exercise, one of their resolutions for the new year 2024. And that's good. Even Paul said, you know, exercise profiteth little. But we also have to take note of the fact that exercise, while it does profit a little, exercise is not as important as spending time every day in the Word of God. Now, because of your schedule, you may not have as much time to spend in the Word of God some days as you do other days, and that's understandable. But every day, make as much time as you can for the reading and studying of God's Word. Okay, now, uh, today we're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, which I might add is the final chapter for 1 Corinthians. But even though this is the final chapter in 1 Corinthians, Paul has a lot to say here. <laughs> so we've got a lot to unpack out of 1 Corinthians chapter 16. And, and you know, it's very interesting that Paul goes from talking about the resurrection in chapter 15 to talking about the collection in chapter 16. In 1 Corinthians chapter 16 and verse 1, Paul says, Now regarding your question about the money being collected, for God's people in Jerusalem, you should follow the same procedure that I have given to the churches in Galatia. On the first day of, the, of each week, you should put aside a portion of the money that you have earned. Don't wait until I get there to try to collect it all at once. When I come, I will write letters of recommendation for the messengers that you choose to deliver to deliver your gift to Jerusalem. And if it seems appropriate for me to go along, um, they can travel with me. Now, we, we notice a couple of things that churches can learn from 1 Corinthians chapter 16. Paul says, upon the first day of the week, which is Sunday, he says, let each of you Put aside a portion of the money that you have earned. 
Now, he's also talking in reference here too to the collection of a special offering for the benefit of Christians in Jerusalem. Because of persecution, uh, the Christians in Jerusalem were not doing too well. Many of them had lost their jobs because of the fact that they were Christian. Many Christians who earned businesses found that uh, the pagan people would boycott them. And so financially, the believers in 1 Corinthians, they were not... Um, the believers in 1 Corinthians uh, were being instructed to give money to the relief of the believers in Jerusalem who were having a hard time. And uh, so we find that the believers in Jerusalem were going to be getting financial help from the church at Corinth. And that was a good thing. Um, they needed help. They needed benevolence. And the church at Corinth was being asked to do everything they could to raise money for the Christians in need in Jerusalem. Now, one of the important things that this teaches us as a church is that we have a responsibility to help other believers that are in need. Now, I know some churches today, they say, well, we have a benevolence committee and we'll help people as long as they are members of our church. But now here, the believers in Corinth were being asked to give an offering to believers in need at the church in Jerusalem. So when it comes to helping believers in need, it doesn't really matter whether or not the person you're helping is a member of your congregation. If they are a Christian and they're in need, and you have the ability to help meet that need, then you should do it. And that is what Paul is saying here. Now Paul is also a man of organization. He says, now don't wait to take this special offering when I get there. He says, you do this now so that I won't have to do it when I get there. Now, he also suggests to the church at Corinth that they need to select messengers. Now, these are the messengers who will actually carry the money physically from Corinth to Jerusalem. So this lets us know that churches need to have a democratic form of government. Now, I'll be honest with you, it's not always the best form of government because sometimes the majority can be wrong. Think about that. Sometimes the majority can be wrong. But in many ways, it is the best way to get things done as a congregation. Paul indicates here, he says, if it seems appropriate for me to go with you, I will go. If not, so be it. I like the way that Paul leaves everything up to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit makes it possible for me to go on this trip. That'll be great. If not, that'll be great too. Now, in a way, Paul was hoping it worked out for him 
to be on this trip because of the fact that it would give him a chance to show the Jews in Jerusalem that he truly cared about them. After all, he had spent many years of his life persecuting them, having them thrown into prison, having them executed. But here we find that Paul has a desire to help those in need. Now, by the way, this uh, stands in contrast to those people that believe that the preaching of the gospel is the only mission of the church. Now, I will tell you this, the preaching of the gospel is the most important thing that we do in the church. There is absolutely nothing more important than the preaching and the proclaiming of the word of God. Amen. But, on the other hand, things like benevolence, taking care of the poor, things like social ministry, these are important as well. And I think Paul makes that perfectly clear by his own example here. Now, when we come to verse 5, Paul begins giving some final instructions to the believers at Corinth. I mean, this is the last chapter of his first epistle. So he's giving them some final instructions. He says, I am coming to visit you after I have been to Macedonia. For I am planning to travel through Macedonia. Perhaps I will stay for a while with you, possibly all winter, and then you could send me on my way to my next destination. Now once again, he, he's thinking hypothetically here. He says, maybe I could come to you after going to Macedonia, and maybe I'll be with you for the whole winter, maybe not, but maybe I'll be with you for the whole winter. Once again, the way Paul is talking, he, he makes it pretty clear he's dependent on the leadership of God's Holy Spirit to ultimately let him know how long he's to stay. And then he says, you could send me on my way to the next destination. Paul was counting on the believers at Corinth when he got there to raise the money necessary to send him on the le next leg of his journey. You know, when Paul went on a missionary journey, he didn't necessarily try to raise all the money at one time he needed for the whole journey. He says, no, I'll go to this point, and when I get to this point, they'll raise the money for me to go to the next point, and when I get there, they'll raise the money I need to go to the next point. And so Paul didn't try to raise all the support he would need all at one time. He says, I'm just going to take it one missionary project at a time. And that's the way it has to be with us. We have to trust the Lord as we go one day at a time. That's, that's all that God asked for us to do, and it's all we could be expected to do. Trusting God one day at a time. Knowing that the same God who took care of us yesterday will also take care of us today. And I think that's such a very important lesson for us to learn.
One of the advantages that I have getting older, as I've pointed out a few times already on this broadcast, I'll be 70 later on this year. I will turn 70 years old. One of the advantages of being that old is the fact that I have the ability to look back over my life and I can see those occasions where God miraculously intervened and took care of monumental needs that I had. Needs that I felt at the time were so great I didn't think anybody could help me, but God did. And the older you get, the more you're able to fall back on those memories of how God has taken care of you in the past. And when you think about that, and now you come across another need, you know, you could say, well, the same God who took care of me back there, he's going to take care of me up here. Amen? Amen. I heard a person testify in church a few years ago. They talked about how they were trusting the Lord in their retirement. Now, by their own admission, they had not especially saved up a lot of money for retirement, but they said, you know what? I'm not going to be obsessed with my retirement at age 30 because I know when I get to age 65 and beyond, God will take care of me there just like he takes care of me here, and that's true. Now, by the way, that doesn't mean that we don't need to, that, that we can afford to be foolish. I think uh, good Christian financial planning is a good thing. And if you're a young person today, there's more opportunities than ever for you to save for your retirement. I wish I had done some of that earlier in my life, but I didn't. I could tell you right now, in all honesty, my life is an open book. The only income I have is a monthly Social Security check. That's it. I don't have any pension, uh, pensions. I don't have any stock dividends or anything else like that. But yet I know that my God can take care of me now just like he's always taken care of me. Amen? Amen. Paul goes on to say, this time I want to make, I don't want to make just a short visit and then go right on. I want to stay for a while if the Lord will let me. That's in verse 7. Notice it says, if the Lord will let me. Once again, Paul makes it clear that all of his plans are subject to God's approval and planning. Paul knows that God has a master plan for his life. And more than anything else, Paul wants to be right slap dab in the middle of that plan that God has for his life. But he says, this time I don't want to just come and go. But he says, um, I want to stay for a while when I get there. He says in verse 8, In the meantime, I will be staying here at Ephesus until the festival of Pentecost. There is a wide open door for a great work here, although many oppose him. Now notice here, Paul tries to draw a picture here. He sees the festival of Pentecost as a great opportunity for him 
to witness for the Lord. He knew that many people would be coming to that festival from all over the world, and he saw it as a great opportunity for him to witness for the Lord and do ministry, to do evangelism, even though Paul also recognized that he had many that opposed him. Now, if God has called you to go into a ministry, into the ministry, and I know I'm talking to a lot of young preachers out there, a lot of seminary students, a lot of Bible college students who follow this ministry. Let me assure you that being in the ministry is no way to win a popularity contest. You're going to have enemies. You're always going to have people that will oppose you. You might have a situation where you're pastor of a small church. It's got about 30 people, and 29 of those 30 people support anything and everything you're trying to do. But there's always going to be one or more that are going to fight you tooth and nail. Mark it down. It's going to happen. I mean, I, when, I, when I talk about this, I talk from experience. I have a lot of people who love my ministry and support my ministry, but I can tell you right now, I have at least a handful of people that for years have done nothing but oppose my ministry and attack my ministry and try to do everything they can to hinder my ministry. And I'm proud to report they have fallen flat on their face because they can't stop what I'm trying to do for God. And I guess that's what frustrates them the most. They know, they realize that they cannot stop what God has called me to do. Amen? Amen. Okay, now let's go on. He says, then, when Timothy comes, don't intimidate him. He is doing the Lord's work just as I am. Don't let anybody treat him with contempt. Send him on his way with your blessing when he returns to me. I expect him to come with other believers. That's in regard to Timothy. Now, Paul realized that many people opposed Timothy because he was so young. Probably of all the preachers that we read about in the New Testament, Timothy was perhaps the youngest of the preachers. He was very young. But Paul said, don't despise him because of his youth. Support him. And then when the time comes, send him on his way. God says he's doing the Lord's work just like me. Amen. Paul goes on to say in verse 12, Now about our brother Apollos, I urged him to visit you with the other believers, but he was not willing to go right now. He will see you later when he has opportunity. Notice he says, Apollos, I urged him to visit with you and other believers, but he was not willing to go now. <laughs> Paul apparently did not have the authority to require Apollos to do anything. He requested that Apollos go to Corinth, but 
The parlor said, no, I don't feel like going there right now. He says, I will go there later. And Paul does not argue with him there because probably Paul realizes it may not be God's will for Apollos to go to Corinth now. It might be God's will for him to go to Corinth later. It's altogether possible. So Paul uh, shares very openly with the people of Corinth. We know that Paul corresponded many times with the church at Corinth by letter. Some of those letters we have, some of those letters we don't have. Now, probably when we get to the next broadcast, I will talk a little bit more about the order of the Corinthian correspondence. Now, if you're a young minister in Bible college or seminary, and you haven't talked about the order of the Corinthian correspondence yet, hang in there because you will probably get to that before much longer. Then Paul goes on to say in verse 13, he says, Be on guard, stand firm in the faith, be courageous, be strong, and do everything with love. He says, Be on guard. You know, it's a dangerous time to be a Christian now. It was a dangerous time to be a Christian then. I mean, in every corner back then, you had certain government leaders and even religious leaders that were trying to put God's servants in prison. Paul says, be on guard. We need to know that the devil has an agenda. The devil is just as active in the world today as he's ever been, if not more so. He says, stand firm in the faith. This is a day and time. You don't need a wavering faith. You need a faith that you can stand firm in. A faith that is rock solid. Now, by the way, I don't encourage young men to go to Bible college or seminary unless they are rock solid in their faith. Because otherwise, they're going to be learning things in college and seminary that's going to throw them for a loop. I'll just tell you that much right now. If you're a pastor, before you make any kind of recommendation for a young man in your church to go to Bible college or seminary, you better make sure that person is rock solid in their faith. That they're standing strong in the faith. He says, be courageous. Be courageous. Sometimes being a Christian servant of God requires incredible courage. Because when you're the man of God that God is calling you to be, you're always going to be at odds with the world. One thing we, we need to hear preached more often than we do today is what I call the doctrine of separation. Keeping ourselves separated from worldly ways. Amen.
And then he says, be strong. There's a song that is currently being played on a number of Christian stations around the country. I know that K-Love and other contemporary Christian music stations are playing this song. It's a song, I believe her name is Ann Wilson, who sings this song. And it's a song simply called Strong. And at the very root of this song is the fact she's saying to the Lord, Lord, I can't do this on my own. When it comes to living for you and taking a stand for you, God, I can't do this on my own. But God, I know that with your help, I can do this. Be strong in the Lord. And it says, and do everything with love. Uh, I've shared many times about how uh, a certain preacher that I grew up under, he had a plaque put on the back of the pulpit. And I preached in that pulpit a few times myself. And it said, preaching the truth in love. Preaching the truth in love. I listen to some preachers today and they preach like God is mad at the whole world and so are they. Now, if you're that kind of preacher, let me tell you, you're not going to reach very many people for the Lord with that attitude. You have to have a heart of love, a heart of compassion, a heart of mercy. I've told people many times when I see a, a drunk staggering down the highway, I'm thinking, uh, accept the grace of God that can be made. And I mean every word of that. Except it be for the grace of God, hey, that can be me. Amen. So we need to do everything in love. And we're not at the end yet. Paul still has more to say. Like I say, there's an awful lot to be unpacked here in the 16th chapter of 1 Corinthians. He says, you know, Stephanus and his household were the first of the harvest of believers in Greece. And they are spending their lives um, and they are spending their lives in service to God's people. I urge you, dear brothers and sisters, to submit to them and others like them who serve with such devotion. I'm very glad that Stephanus, Fortanus, and Achaeus have come here. They have been providing the help that you weren't here to give me. They have been a wonderful encouragement to me, as they have been to you. You must show your appreciation to all who serve so well. Now that's a very good point to make. I know many pastors who serve the Lord in their churches every week very sacrificially. And they hardly ever get a word of thanks and so many times are hit with a barrage of criticism. 
Other churches at least try to recognize their pastor every year in October, and that's a good thing. But if your pastor is doing a great job for Jesus, then you know what? Your pastor needs to hear words of appreciation from you. It might be just the words that he needs to hear to motivate him to keep going in his service for the Lord. Then in verse 19, the churches here in the province of Asia send their greetings in the Lord as do Aquila and Priscilla and all the others who gather in their home for church meetings. He says who gather in their home for church meetings. Uh, It's very interesting to note in this day and time, many of the churches in that day and time did not have the nice, beautiful, comfortable church buildings that we do in our country today and in other countries around the world. Back in those days, it was very common for churches to meet in different people's homes. That was actually a a fairly common thing. And a lot of times, frankly, this was because of very intense persecution. As I alluded to earlier in this broadcast, when I talked about the believers in Jerusalem, they were among the believers that had suffered a lot through many years of persecution. This led to unemployment, the loss of their businesses, the loss of their incomes, and they were dependent on the generosity of Christians in other countries to come to their rescue. So it was a a very hard and tough time back then to be a Christian. And because of that persecution, uh, Christians didn't want to meet in a building that was easily identifiable as a place of worship. So they would meet instead in a person's home. Now that meant many of these churches were quite small. Once again, they didn't want any home to have a big crowd there because that would be viewed as suspicious to the authorities as well. And so in some towns or cities, there were several homes in that town or city where Christians would meet and they would worship God in privacy so as to not provoke the authorities in town to persecute them. Paul also says, All the brothers and sisters here send greetings to you and greetings each other with the sacred gifts. Here is my greeting in my own handwriting. Now, we are told that Paul typically did not write by hand every letter that he wrote. He had people who would write for him. When Paul talks about his thorn in the flesh, and we're never told exactly what that thorn in the flesh was, so 
nobody could say with certainty what that thorn in the flesh was, but a lot of us have our own ideas. My idea is that Paul did not have the greatest eyesight in the world. If he lived in our day, he would probably benefit from a pair of glasses, but they didn't have that in his day. And because of this eye problem, it was frankly very hard for Paul to do his own handwriting. But a lot of times, in, in this case, he would sign the letter with his own handwriting, which meant that it was a pretty giant size signature. That was the only way Paul could see well enough to write his signature. And it would authenticate the fact that that book or scroll had been written by Paul. And then he goes on to say, if anyone does not love the Lord, that person is cursed. Our Lord come. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you. My love to all of you in Christ Jesus. Now, when we read these last few words of the book of 1 Corinthians, we see that Paul loved the people he was writing to. He corresponded with them often. He cared about them greatly. Because that's just the kind of man that Paul was. Now, in the next broadcast, I will be doing an introduction to 2 Corinthians. An introduction to 2 Corinthians. And it is here in the next broadcast that I will be talking about the order of the Corinthian correspondence. The order of the Corinthian correspondence. Now, if you haven't read the first chapter in 2 Corinthians, go ahead and do so. I'm not sure that we will actually get into the first chapter of 2 Corinthians in the next broadcast, but I'm sure we may get into it a little bit. Most of our broadcast next time will be to give ourselves a proper introduction to 2 Corinthians and the Corinthian correspondence. But go ahead and read 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Now, by the way, if you have any questions or comments, if um, you have um, a desire to share with our listeners what this ministry means to you, the best way to do that is by email. I have two email addresses. One is warrenlandis at yahoo.com and the other one is warrenlandis at gmail.com. Then I want you to know that um, if you want to contact me by snail mail, you can do that too. My snail mail address is Warren Landis, 80 Thruston Street, apartment 8510, Greenville, South Carolina, 29605. Now that's Thruston Street, 80 Thruston Street, T-H-R-U-S-T-O-N, apartment 8510, Greenville, South Carolina, 29605. And as I've done on the last few broadcasts, I want to share with you a personal phone number of mine that you can call. 
If you just need someone to talk to, if you need someone to pray with you, if you're discouraged and down in the dumps and you need someone to talk to, I can be that person. This is a free ministry here at Sunshine USA, and you can call me from anywhere on the planet, and I'll be glad to talk to you. My phone number is 864-608-2102. 864-608-2102. And if you call that number, I'll be glad to talk to you. And if I'm not at my phone at that particular time, you can always leave a message on my voicemail, and I'll get back with you just as quickly as possible. Well, until next time, this is Warren Landis saying goodbye. God bless you, and I'll see you next time on Sunshine USA.